2: Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finnman. We've got a really good show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we're going to broadcast an interview with Joshua Scarf, who wrote a book called In It was a really amazing book where he points out, according to the portion of the week, 53 different portions, where architecture fits in. Amazing, amazing, amazing. We've got the second half of the portion. We'll be talking about the portion of Kisavo. Whenever I hit the portion of Kisavo, I'm thinking, Oh, Rosh Hashanah, because it is mandated that Kisavo be read two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. So that means Kisavo, it, Rosh Hashanah is two weeks. We've got wonderful Jewish music, some really good Jewish music throughout the show. i uh, uh, <laughs> One of my favorite Hasidic stories at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> An Israeli father and his adult son were shot and killed by a Palestinian terrorist at a car wash in central Israel. Security forces are searching for the killer. Security in the area has been heightened. A 40-year-old mother of three was killed in a drive-by shooting near Hebron. Her six-year-old daughter was in the backseat, was not hurt. IDF forces have the name of the suspected terrorist terrorist and have put out a manhunt for him. Israel's security agency, the Shinbet, arrested four Israeli Arabs for smuggling Iranian-made explosives from Lebanon into Israel. And some news in, uh, outside of Israel. Five restaurants in the Pico-Robertson section of Los Angeles were broken into last Shabbos when the restaurants were closed. That's all there is on it. It's not anti-Semitic. They just knew the restaurants were closed, and they went and smashed the windows and took emptied the cash registers. A kosher restaurant in suburban Paris was spray-painted with anti-Semitic graffiti, and police are looking for the perpetrator there. There's lots of cameras that are showing who the perpetrator was. An investigation by the Senate Budget Committee. I really wanted to get somebody on the show for this one, but it's not going to happen, but just... Maybe you can investigate this one on yourselves by going to doing news searches. An investigation by the Senate Budget Committee showed that Credit Suisse held accounts for ex-Nazis trying to hide their money as late as 2022. Credit Suisse failed this past June and was bought by Swiss Bank USB. And finally, Israel will be investing close to a billion dollars in infrastructure in Arab East Jerusalem. The plan would include extending the light rail to Bethlehem and improving roads, schools, and public buildings. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Shilfinman here. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. We have on live via Zoom, Joshua Scarf. He's in Israel, and we're here. Uh, Mr. Scarf has written a book called Architect Torah, architectural ideas in Judaism and the weekly Torah portion. So it's always interesting that, you know, people want some kind of insight or something, a new slant when they're studying the portion of the week, which this week is Bahar Buhu for example, the end of the book of Leviticus. And maybe we'll talk about that one. Tell us, um, how did you come to, uh, to think about even putting this book together, Joshua?
3: Well, the story actually begins when I was in high school and, uh, and I started doing, uh, a, a weekly, the weekly core, uh, Gemara program where you learn, uh, the, sorry, the daily Gemara program where you learn a, a page of Gemara every day. And I had, uh, I'd been doing that for a number of years and was looking for a way that I could, when you do that, you do it very, uh, superficially in a way. And I was looking for a way that I could study, do study that was a lot more in depth. While I was in, uh, university and, uh, learning about architecture, I had, uh, uh, something that happened to me that, that, that recurred, uh, which was in, in classes, I would, I would, they would be talking about ideas, uh, architectural ideas, and I would, uh, in my mind, connect them to different things that I'd learned over the years in the Talmud and in other, uh, rabbinic texts. And I thought that it might be interesting to look at some of those connections in depth and, uh, Maybe write them up, uh, in connection to the, uh, weekly Torah portion. And it's something that I started to do, uh, once I moved to Israel. I, uh, I would, on, in Israel, we, Friday is the day off. Friday is our Sunday, so to speak. And, uh, there, were, I had a little bit more time. Uh, so on Friday mornings, I would go to a, uh, a Beit Midrash, a study hall, and I would, uh, spend my time researching, uh, a topic that I picked out from, from that week's Torah portion and looking at it uh, and seeing how uh, different architectural ideas uh, connect to, to to that idea and how they can help inform uh, the, the way that different um, uh, uh, commentators understand uh, various verses. And one thing led to another, and uh, over the years as I, as I worked on it, I began to think of it as, as a book, and I had gone through uh, a number of, of, uh, of of books of the, of the five books of Moses. And, uh, and I I'd come to the conclusion that it would actually have enough material to put together a book. And so, uh, so I, I, uh, I continued to do that until, uh, until I completed the, the, the book.
2: Okay. It doesn't surprise me that you were able to pull out from every portion, 53 chapters, 53 portions in the five books of Moses, and pull out something to talk about from an architectural slant, because the Talmud that you just mentioned before says that everything's in the Torah. And I know when I'm teaching different types of people, I have to approach it from different ways. So if I'm learning with psychologists and mental health therapists, so my approach to Torah is from a mental health perspective. When I'm doing it, learning with business people, so it now becomes a from a perspective of, business ethics, I actually did teach Tanya, which is a philosophical work, to a group of architects. And every example I brought was basically one based on architecture, my limited knowledge of of architecture. So some of things, if you were to ask me on the top of my head, which of the 53 portions have anything to do with architecture? I always said, well, there was the design of the tabernacle in the... In the desert, that's yeah, that's some kind of architecture stuff, and Pizzalo is referred to as like the architect there. And after that, it kind of like fall off the table, like. But you 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 started with in the beginning, so let, let's start with in the beginning. For example, the, everyone, people are very familiar with it's a more famous biblical story is the story of the Genesis. So, are we looking at God as an architect?
3: Well, there's, there's a definitely a, a long tradition uh, in, in, in Jewish thought, also in other religious thought, uh, of, of considering God as an architect. Uh, there is a famous Midrash uh, uh, story that's brought down in, in, by the rabbis, uh, which I which actually is the, is, the, is the first thing that, that appears in my book, where it talks about, uh, it says that when God created, God used the Torah as his blueprints for creating the world it says, uh, just like an architect would use blueprints in order to figure out how to build a house, so too, God opened the Torah and created the world.
2: Okay, and so did you have, did, when it, it comes to like, some of them are more easy, okay, so like the next portion is Noah, and Noah had to build a boat, so it's, you're talking about building over there, so you're thinking that there must have been some kind of scheme, God gave him like, it has to be three stories high, and so much long, and you have to build a room for everybody, so it's like, okay, but did, let me ask you: Which one did you have like the most problem? Which portion did you say there's really nothing about architecture? But I got to find something, and without stretching it too much.
3: I, I would definitely say that Bamidbar was the uh, very little happens in the part in the in the Torah portion of Bamidbar. So I it's just uh, counting. That people are
2: people are counted. Yeah. That's, you know, it's the beginning of the book of numbers.
3: Just counting, there's a little bit of arrangement of how they're camped. So there's what there's what to, a little bit what to talk about. There're also some uh, portions that are much smaller than others. It's interesting. So when when I uh, when I tell people about this book, they immediately like much like you did, they immediately say, "Well, there's the Tabernacle and there's the Tower of Babel, Babel, and there's the the Ark of Noah. What else is there after that?" And when I was having a discussion with my publishers about what to put on the cover, they said, why don't you just put on a picture of one of those projects? And I said, that's exactly what I don't want to put on. My publisher, we're in publications, uh, uh, we're, very, we're very supportive. And uh, they said, they, I said, the, the, the natural inclination, inclination of people uh, when I'm telling them about this book is to assume that it's about those three projects, because what else is there? And that's exactly what I want to, uh, to show people, that, there's, that there are other things to talk about. Uh, and, uh, some, 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 uh, portions were, were more difficult to find, but in the end, the book includes at least two, uh, two short essays about each one of the, of the, of the portions. And okay. some of them have quite a few more.
2: Okay. So when, so, so let's let walk us, through, walk us through about how you went about to this. Let's say we take a sure. portion like this week's portion of, of Bihar, Let's focus on that. the the first The first emphasis there is the uh, the sabbatical year and mm-hmm. the the jubilee, and then things going back to people. Uh, what's called stayachuzah, the the uh, original ownership taking over after fifty years and stuff. So, how did you go about? Um, what was your development of the idea of okay. your approach to the portion that you came up with? Oh, this is the idea, and this is what I'm going to write about it.
3: So that's a great question. The, the way that I did it, first of all, I I was approaching it book by book. And I in my mind, I thought there will probably be a number of topics that could be applicable to more than one portion. And so I thought that it would be most sensible to start with what I thought would be the most difficult book. And so I started with Leviticus, with Vayikra, and uh, I, I read through over over a number of, of weeks i read through the uh the entire book and i made a, myself a list uh of different topics that i thought might be worth exploring now at the same time as this had, as, as this had been going on i was also uh studying the talmud and uh different midrashim mishnah posefta basically many of the books of many of the uh the books the famous books of, of rabbinic literature and as I went through them I also kept a list of different topics different architectural topics that came up along the way and uh, the Talmud contains a lot of anecdotal stories it also contains a lot of uh, of, of 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 uh of Jewish law that that uh, occasionally relates to to architecture, and so I had these two lists. One was potential topics that I thought, uh, from reading through the Torah, that I thought would uh, would be worth studying, and the other was uh, architectural discussions that had come up in reliter- uh, rabbinic literature. And I tried to connect the two of them. So I would take. I would say, "Well, this discussion could fit in this portion and this discussion could fit in this Torah portion and uh, And that was uh, the basic methodology. Um, there was a little bit of of, of fitting portions together once I, uh, once I'd come up, I actually uh, in, the, in, in the book, they're all together one hundred and seventy eight essays. They're mostly two to three pages long, and uh, some of them moved around a little bit uh, during the course of the assembly of the book. And some of them were combined. Originally, there were about 250 and I combined some of them together. Uh, but but so I would. I, so, for example, for this, for, for Parshad Bahar, as you said, there is there's a discussion about uh, houses in a walled city. And so this is something that I that I that I looked at and uh, tried. Uh, I, there, there's a there's a there's an interesting discussion that happens in. in well, I don't I, I don't want to get too far into it because I not sure if that's what you want to talk about, but I I, I looked at that and I I brought my architectural knowledge about what it means to to build a house and uh, and what the difference is between a walled city and a regular city uh, and and use that knowledge to try and and look at the, the question from a different angle and come up with a unique answer.
2: Okay, that spurs on a question I'm going to ask you in a second, but uh, I see the second article in the portion of Bihar deals with stone paving streets. Is that an, mm-hmm. is that an architecture thing?
3: Well, it's not really, the, that, it, that article isn't so much about stone paving as much as the patterns that, uh, that, are, that are used, and the, um, the, there's a uh, prohibition against bowing down on stone paving outside of the temple. So the question is, why, uh, why would that be, uh, why would that be in place and what exactly are the parameters of that, uh, prohibition? And one of the interesting things I, 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 by, by natural extension, I end up looking at a lot of archaeological topics because if you're discussing, uh, architecture in the Talmud, you want to know what the rabbis were, were looking at, what their, uh, environment was, uh, how it was designed. And uh, there was a fascinating uh, discovery that was made in Israel uh, a number of years ago, where um, archaeologists have been sifting through uh, debris that was haphazardly excavated from uh, the Temple Mount. And one of the things that they discovered were these uh, tesserae, were these uh, these small paving stones that uh, they were able to develop a an algorithm to fit them together. And by fitting these tiny uh, paving stones together they were able to suggest what the paving patterns might have looked like in Herod's temple. And so I discussed that topic. Fascinating, uh, fascinating papers that were written on that subject. And, uh, and one of the things that I try and do in the book is uh, introduce the readers to various archeological scholarly discussions uh, that they, you know, they might not, they might not recognize, they might not be used to approaching when they're learning the, to- the, the, the Torah portion and uh and use that to help uh explain some of the discussions that are that are tangentially related to 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 the discussions in the talmud
2: okay cool our guest today is joshua scarf he's written a book called architect torah architectural ideas in Judaism and the weekly torah portion publishing by boring press or publishers so asking the question on the other hand okay so you're an architect and you know a lot about architecture so when you got into it and you saw that there's something to write, how did you stop yourself? This is, I'm sorry how I'm rephrasing this question. How did you get, stop yourself from getting too geeky such that the only person who would be interested in looking at this book would be another architect?
3: Well, I hope that I've achieved that. Uh, I, uh, for one... I knew that if, if I limited it to just um, architects as, as a readership, then there would be a very limited market. Right. Um, but but on, more so, I, I think that a lot of the ideas that I present, I, I discuss in the introduction to the book what my target audience is. And on the one hand, I wanted to make it uh, accessible to people who have no knowledge of architecture, because um, those are people who will... Architects know a lot of the things that I'm talking about. And people who who have not studied architecture will, I think, find the discussions even more enlightening because it'll teach them both about Torah and about architecture at the same time. If somebody is approaching the book uh, with a limited knowledge of Torah, but a lot of knowledge of architecture then they 'll have much to gain from reading it because it 'll present a whole lot of ideas uh, and and sources that they might not be familiar with and likewise, if somebody 's approaching it as a with a strong background in Torah but a limited background in architecture they 'll also have what to gain uh, from from the discussions, because the the knowledge that I bring with with uh, the architectural knowledge that I bring to the discussions, I think, make make some of the, make some of the, the essays uh, very enlightening and uh, and really help you uh, look at it from a new angle.
1: OK,
2: so how should people read this book? Should they read it, say, like as a commentary on the Torah and just read a little bit every week? Or should they sit down in their armchair with a nice cup of tea and read it cover to cover?
3: Well, I've done that. Uh, it's a daunting task. It's a 600-page book. Uh, the, it's really meant to be consumed uh, on a weekly basis. I I, uh, I would encourage people to to either follow along in the tort with the Torah portion. It's a nice thing to do on a on a, on a Sabbath morning or a, or a Friday evening. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if somebody is uh, interested in specific architectural ideas it's also presented uh, and organized by by architectural ideas so if you've got a specific interest in say the origin of cities or in uh, uh, i don't know uh, accessible uh, accessibility or um, or uh any number of topics that, that you could also flip through the book and find topics that you're interested in and uh and and uh and read it that way.
2: Okay, cool. Did you find any like modern concepts in architecture in the Bible, like for example, um ADA compliance type thing you have to worry about? people who can't climb stairs, which you're supposed to do for them, like building a ramp or minimalism or um, like more is less or square lines, like, you know, from the mid from mid-century modern, any of that type of stuff?
3: Yeah, well, I think every single one of the things you just mentioned come up in the book at one time or another. Uh, I definitely discuss uh, uh, ADA accessibility uh, that's in the in the in the portion that discusses putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person and how uh, how that that informs the way that we design buildings. But also it helps you appreciate the uh, the the the, halakhik, the Jewish law discussions about what that uh, prohibition entails. Uh, there there are definitely discussions I, I, I looked at. Uh, architectural theory really starting with Vitruvius, the uh, the Roman architect in his uh, famous book and continuing on through, our, through our century and, uh, and very uh, recent architectural uh, essays and, uh, and, and theories. So I think that uh, it, it draws on a vast number of, uh, of source material and brings it to bear on the Torah. One, one, one of the things that you touched on before that I, I wanted to, to talk about a little bit is that, uh, i have a strong feeling that that it our knowledge our our uh, our professional knowledge and any knowledge that we gain in the world can be used and should be used in order to uh, should be brought to bear to understand the torah that as a as a professional architect i i chose my profession for a specific reason but i can then take that the knowledge that i have gained from being an architect and apply it to to the torah and i think to to, to the benefit of everyone. And, and there are a number of, of, of uh, professionals who've done that and written uh, Torah commentaries uh, based on their profession, whether that's psychologists or I just uh, recently came across, uh, somebody mentioned to me a diplomat who had written a, a weekly Torah column based on his uh, uh, his experiences in diplomacy. I think that no matter what we do in the world, that uh, we, we, we could then take take, take our, uh, our specific knowledge and apply it to the Torah. And that's really not just something that we can do, but something that we should do. And so that's part of what I try to do in this book.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, when someone, you, you've written this, this book, and what would you consider, um, somebody, somebody buys it, they sit down and they read it. What would in your mind be that the book was successful? what what are you trying to for that person what would you like to have seen that person achieve by reading architect torah josh garf
3: i would like them to come away with a, a, a an invigorated feeling of of learning something new in the torah uh the the the, the essays are are written for, from an orthodox perspective uh, but i think that anybody who is reading an essay will not necessarily every essay but i hope that everybody who picks up the book will find things that that make them say wow i didn't know that this is a really interesting way of looking at this uh this verse which i'd never considered before and uh it's been very gratifying since the book came out to 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 hear that from from various readers who contacted me and uh and said wow i really enjoyed what you wrote about uh about this week's portion about uh uh, i'd never I never considered the design of hospitals and how the uh, spiritual impurity of a, a dead body affects the design of a hospital. Or uh, I've never considered uh, the obligation to leave your corners, uh, 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 un, the quarters of your field un, uh, unharvested, uh, and, and applied that to, uh, to looked at that through the lens of affordable housing and uh, and, and that form of, uh, of, uh, of institutional charity.
2: Interesting, wonderful, fascinating. Okay, our guest has been Joshua Scarf. who's written the book Architect Torah: Architectural Ideas in Judaism in the Weekly Torah Portion. It is published by Urim Publications. Available wherever you buy Jewish books from. Joshua, I want to thank you so much for coming on, and wish you continued success. Is there going to be a volume two or something, uh, a sequel, or something else in the, on the in the pipeline?
3: Well, I don't think there'll be a volume two. Volume one uh, is pretty, uh, pretty hefty to begin with. Uh, but I, I, I do continue to write. And this is what, the same way that I write that I that I wanted to write this book to uh, partly as a hobby, but also to to use my knowledge to further the Torah world. I also occasionally write uh, articles for scholarly publications, so I'll probably continue doing that. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun. And thank you so much for having me on.
2: Okay, it has been our pleasure. We wish you continued success.
3: Thank
2: you. Okay, we're going to take a quick quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for Kosher, and S-U-P for Supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to The Jewish Hour. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Amazing. My brain just feels bigger. We're going to do some music now. The song is called Aniladoidi, which was made for this time of year because the month of Elul has many acrostics whereby the first letter is the first, the the letters of the word Elul, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, are the first letters of various verses, and one of them being my beloved, I am to my beloved and my beloved is mine, which shows upon the relationship that the Jewish people have with the Almighty. This is Morty Weinstein singing Annie
1: Lidoydie. the <laughs> Of it, i because the see who hear us, hear us, the you my love, my love, his body, his body, the love.
2: there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call eight hundred six oh three eighteen thirteen. That's eight hundred six oh three eighteen thirteen, or visit them online at www.AdvancedRapidDetox.com. dot advanced dot com. here you are listening to the Jewish hour. We have up next this is a local artist named Michael Smolash. He is a local cantor in the temple. And every once in a while, they do a concert and he records the concert. And this year, I don't know when it was, it was a bunch of years back, actually. It was a klezmer concert featuring some of the members of actually the klezmatics. And they did one of the klezmatic standards called a la Brita, which means all, all, brother, we're all brother, brethren. So this is Michael Smolish singing a la Brita. And if you want to sing along, Feel free.
4: And we sing in all the Bride. And we sing in schöne Lieder. And we have them in a hole. Myself, This is not nice by kin perfect. Now try this. Oi, 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 Leben, sit the alle, oi oi, sit doch alle, we are crossing alle oi oi oi, oi 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 Freelet hey, munter, der Oi, oh, Oi, hey, Freelet hey, Mund, Singen, Lieder, tanzen und der Oi, Oi, Oi. Und wir seinen alles Schwester, Oi, oh, Oi, hey, alles Schwester, das Säur, die Russen, Es der, Oi, 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 Oi
2: With the new year approaching, why go anywhere else for your holiday shopping when you can go to the Grove? Fully renovated, The Grove is located on Greenfield Road, just south of 696. At The Grove, you'll find the largest selection of kosher foods and wines in Michigan. Looking for fresh, round holiday challahs, honey cake, or exotic fruit for the new year? The Grove has it. The Grove has the freshest produce, gourmet dairy, deli, and meats. They even have a kosher bakery and hot takeout right on the premises. It's The Grove on Greenfield Road and 696 for all your shopping needs. Herr here, you're listening to The Jewish Hour. We want to welcome our seasonal sponsor back again, Grove, on Greenfield Road, just south of 696. Yes, it's a beautiful place to shop. And if you're looking for holiday stuff, they've got everything right there. That's why they used to call it One Stop, because you just had to make one stop. We have, this is a really pretty song. I like this song. The song is called Vinacha which is taken from this the uh the holiday liturgy we take out the torah and you should place upon us a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of advice and in giving etc it's like a whole long thing I believe it's taken from the book of isaiah and incorporated into the liturgy and this is eitan katz no stranger to the jewish hour singing his rendition of V'nachal,
5: v'nachal, ruach. Do I share?
2: Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Kisavo. It can be found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25 and further. The portion starts out as the last three and a half portions have been as a comprehensive review of commandments. And these being ones having to do specifically with the land of Israel for living in the land of Israel like the sabbatical year and the jubilee and then the different things thereof. Then in the middle of the portion towards actually towards the end, by the get to the sixth out of seventh aliyahs, there is a paradigm. It's actually five. There's a paradigm shift. And from that point on till the end of the book, it's all blessings and admonishments and curses that are called. We're going to focus on the curses, but not for very long, because we don't have a whole lot of time. It is mandated that, as I said at the onset of the show, that the portion of Kisavo be read two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And in the portion of Kisavo it has these things that say, these, these verses that say, if you don't have your act together, if you're really going the wrong way, then these 98 horrible things are going to happen. So it's a time for easy to see. It's taking stock. Where am I? Which way am I going? What direction am I going? We talked last week with the the story about the horse. And if you don't remember it, you can just click on last week's show. And at the end of the show, there's a story about the horse. Where, where are we? Which was a question that God asked to Adam when he was in the garden. Adam, where are you? Meaning I, God knew where he was. It was like, I gave you one mitzvah, which means one connection to me, and you don't have that connection, so where could you possibly be? So we have many mitzvahs. It says the Almighty wanted to give us much favor and commanded us many commandments in order that we have various and sundry, many vehicles to connect to the Almighty. So it's during this time that we have to take stock and see where, do we, where are we going. The purpose of the curses is not to, to, to put us down. It's not, they're not rudimentary punishments. No, that's not what they're there for. They're there as the early warning system, especially since in this week's portion, it says that what's the first thing that happens is like anxiety and depression are the first curses It's like, what's anxiety and depression? Nobody's doing that to you. you that's all between your right and left ear. And if a person's anxious and has depression, they should have to analyze, well, what am I doing? Because we're not supposed to be anxious and depressed. Let's get our act together. And hopefully we'll have a happiness new year. If you'd like to get in touch with me, the way to do that is to go to my website, Herschel Finman, no, it's rabbifinman.com. I've only had it since 2009, I should know. Actually, I've had it since in the 1990s. It's been updated since 2009. RabbiFinman.com, and you can see all the wonderful things that we have over there, including the Contact Us page and including the archived editions of the radio show and other things, and the very important donations page. Yes, it's the end of August Um, we had July. That was good. July got paid before right at the beginning. So we'll see what's going to happen with August. We're not even close. Uh, what a, what a dry month this has been, but I guess people are on vacation. It's understandable, but we're still, if you're listening to this, we're still before Rosh Hashanah. It's Rosh Hashanah is coming up and now's the time to like, make sure your charity is all in order and, uh, you know that's that's one of those things we got to do before Rosh Hashanah. So go to RabbiFinman.com dot com or check out JewishFerndale.com, dot com, our sister organization. And in either one, you can make a donation. And if you want to use Zell, you can do that at JewishFerndale.com. dot uh, com. The telephone number it's the to Zelle you use the telephone number. That's not the Jewish Ferndale. Website, and I'm not going to say it over the phone, over the radio, because I was instructed 29 years ago never give out a phone number over the airways. So check it out. Okay, so the Tzemach the third Lubavitch Rebbe, was known as a person who could find lost husbands. Evidently in Europe, it was like a thing. It was like a plague. Husbands would disappear. And rightly so, they get constricted into the army. They would get uh, robbed and beaten and killed. And this left women, their wives, agonot, which means chained women. They could not get remarried unless they had absolute proof that their husbands were dead or whatever. So women would come to the Tzemach tzedek, and he did miracle after miracle. So it once happened, a woman came who was actually a like a third cousin of the Tzema Tzedek, I think more related to the Tzema daughter-in-law who was married to his youngest son, the Marash. And she had this, she, this plight, what is she doing? She can't even get an appointment with the rabbi. So this woman, whose husband disappeared for seven years prior, had a son who was a mute. He could not talk. He had never talked in his life. He was eight years old. So the daughter said, this is what you do. Tell your son that he should hide under the table in the room where the rabbi sees people. And when the rabbi comes in and sits down, he should stand up and hand out the letter. So that's what he did. And when he came out, the secretary wanted to throw the kid out. What impertinence this was. The rabbi said, leave him. Everybody's got their place. He read the letter. And he said, go tell your mother that your father is alive and he's in the city of Denver, which is many miles east of Gross Point Farms. So the kid ran to where the mother was, which was in the apartment of the Rebbe Marash, who she was talking with her cousin, the Rebbe Marash's wife. And said, Ma, Dad said that the, our dad, my father is alive and he's in the city of Denver. This woman fainted. It's the first time that her child had ever said a word. When the word got back to the, all, the tzemach wife, whose name was Chaya Mushka, she said, I don't know why people make such a big deal of things. It says, by my father-in-law and and, in-law and by my grandfather, no, by my father, excuse me, who was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, and her grandfather, who was the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, miracles were happening all the time. But they said, don't look at the miracles because you have things better to do. You have to look at like the your inner self. And here people are getting all excited about miracles. Here's the clinker. When the Samaxodic was told what was ha- what had happened that he had caused his deaf mute to speak his response was nobody told me he couldn't talk That's going to do it we hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit we hope we had a chance to educate you a bit we hope you have a great week we hope to see you back again next week take care